It is the start of October, which means we are celebrating Halloween all month long uh, with stories about uh, characters and creatures that are often associated with Halloween. And for the first week, we are looking at a few stories about vampires, you know, old classic Count Dracula, although we're not covering that story, but uh, other stories about people who either claimed to be or were extremely worried about vampires being real. It's our weird world. Our weird world. Welcome to our weird world. I am your host, John Henson. And uh, if everything went according to plan, I'm married now. Yay! I was going to add like some crazy celebration sound effects, but I just couldn't find one I liked. And I spent way more time than I like to admit looking for something. But yes, uh, your boy is officially off the market. Um, granted, wasn't a lot of demand for all of this supply. So... Uh, Someone snatched up a good deal, and now I am married forever, Um, or at least until I die. I don't know what the rules are on that. Like, in whatever religious belief system you have, like, do people stay married, like, after they die? Because, like, the, the ceremony and the vows say, until death do us part. So, like, when you die, does that mean you're single again or do you like meet back up in the afterlife and be like yeah you want to keep going i mean did 50 60 years already i'll just make it an eternity or something anyway i don't know this is this is already gone way off the rails for what this topic is going to be but yes so um as of today uh we should be in orlando on our honeymoon and that's great and i'm glad that i'm broadcasting this to the entire world so that uh, someone can break into my house today or this week and steal nothing right look i'm not gonna lie to you guys i'm all i'm doing okay but i don't have anything worth stealing so you know there's that um we also have a security system so it's like don't just don't bother breaking in anyway i am so distracted already on this episode we're talking about vampires right uh we're it's halloween month and we're looking at the stories of enriqueta marti uh the great new england vampire panic uh visago the vampire and the story of jasmine richardson so uh all the wedding stuff aside uh let's jump into this week's stories We begin with the story of Enriqueta Marti, who was born in 1868 during a massive population boom uh, in Barcelona, Spain, uh, thanks primarily to a rush of immigration from Northern Africa. Uh, Now, unfortunately, a lot of those people who had immigrated to Barcelona were peasants whose favorite pastime was having kids, as always. Um, in El Raval, one of the poorest districts in Barcelona, uh, then and may still be today, I think, um, it was completely normal for 40 to 50 people to live in a single house. 
Uh, prostitution was rampant with as many as an estimated 10,000 adolescent prostitutes and child thieves roaming the streets at all hours of the day. Uh, El Raval was the city's prostitution center and the top exports of uh, top export of prostitutes and pornography in all of Europe. Um, kids who somehow avoided becoming thieves and prostitutes were eventually just kidnapped and forced to work in sweatshops. I mean, this is a terrible place to live, right? Um, Enriqueta, unfortunately, was one of those prostitutes. Um, she tried living the married life, but f- actually found that prostitution was somehow a more preferable lifestyle, uh, which bodes well for my marriage, really, um, if, if people believe that actually being a prostitute is more enjoyable than being married. Um, look, I'm not going to lie, I, I probably would get tired of being a prostitute myself. Um, so I think I'm, I think I'm more cut out for married life than, than prostitute life, but you know, time will tell. Um, uh, by day, Enriqueta would walk the streets of Barcelona, begging at various convents and parishes, uh, using children as props and, and guilt trips to get more money. Uh, but by night, she was then pimping out those same children while she spent time in El Liceu, uh, an opera house in Barcelona, and a casino where uh, Barcelona's wealthy elites came to her for business. And by business, I mean sex with kids, because, I don't know, Europe, I guess. Um, but Enriqueta's audience typically was, wasn't just there to pork little kids. Um, along with being a madam, Enriqueta was also a practicing witch doctor. So any kids that she didn't feel like prostituting or were bad at it were then murdered, boiled down, and turned into magic potions. Hey, yo, look at that hard left turn. Um, Enriqueta's uh, special concoctions were mainly used to treat tuberculosis, which was one of the most feared diseases of the time and something that nobody really understood how to treat. And so people were doing crazy stuff like this to try to uh, cure it. Um, the body parts that Enriqueta did not use in her potions were just eaten instead. So, you know, this is going real well. Um, Enriqueta, known by now in her underground black market potion ring as the Vampire of Barcelona, which is why we're putting her in this week's episode, um, was arrested in 1909 during Tragic Week, uh, which was a week-long period of unrest among Spanish anarchists and working poor. However, her connections to Barcelona's elite got her out of standing trial, uh, yeah, standing trial for all of the child murder. Um, so, like, Enriqueta is arrested. She is charged with all of these murders. They know she did it, right? They don't know how many she's done at this point, but they know she's killing little kids. And because she is so well connected to the higher ups, you know, she's got that whole Jeffrey Epstein, you know, Bilderberg elite circle going on in Barcelona and they get her out of prison and they get all the charges dropped for her. Uh, three years later, uh, a curious neighbor spotted Teresita Guitart Kangost inside Enriqueta's loft after Teresita had been missing for two weeks. When police entered Enriqueta's home, the ex- uh, using the excuse that people had been complaining of loose chickens in the neighborhood, because obviously that's going to be a problem in the worst slum in Barcelona, um, police found two live children and also a sack filled with bloody clothes. And look, probably, I'm, I'm guessing it was the bloody clothes that you know, encouraged police to arrest her, but I don't know, maybe the two random kids who had fear in their eyes because they're probably like, hey, she's about to eat us. I don't know. I don't know how Spanish kids talk. Um, 
When uh, police returned to inspect the house for a second time, they found another sack with 30 small bones inside. They also found fake walls and human remains stuffed in the ceilings. Uh, in one locked room, they found pitchers, jars, and bowls filled with human fat, coagulated blood, hair, powdered bones. Uh, and they also found pots with potions and ointments ready for sale. Like they found, they found all of it, you guys. Um, police decided to investigate two other homes that Enriqueta had occupied where they found even more remains. Um, obviously that was enough to send her to prison. Um, but she was never tried for her crimes because thankfully, if there's one thing that prisoners don't like, it's people who end up in prison for doing heinous things to kids, right? Whether you murdered them or you just diddled them a little bit, um, you are not going to have a warm welcome in the prison system. And Enriqueta was lynched on a prison patio in 1913 by a gang of inmates 15 months after her incarceration as she waited trial. Um, unfortunately, because record keeping was so poor during that time, especially in El Raval, where people just like it was just so hard to keep track of everybody. No one really knows how many children Enriqueta Marti kidnapped and murdered over the course of her 20 year run as the vampire of Barcelona. So a uh, good start, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, the next one, this is a dumb story. This is a real dumb story. Um, going over to America now, and uh, we're about 200 years. I don't know why I said it like that. We're about, we're about 200 years removed from the Salem witch trial. And having gone a couple of centuries without waging war against supernatural entities that weren't real, uh, people in New England decided that something fishy was going on in the late 19th century when a harsh tuberculosis outbreak plagued the entire region. Uh, during that time, people believed that tuberculosis flared up anytime a dead person rose from the grave and sucked the life out of their living relatives. So, uh, look, I mean, look, I know the South gets a lot of flack for being stupid, but I don't think there's ever been a time where uh, a sober Southern person, emphasis on sober because, you know, meth um but i don't i don't know that there's ever been a time where a sober southern person truly believed that zombie vampires were running around and and sucking the life out of the living to i don't know cure their own tuberculosis i guess i don't know um but tuberculosis at the time known regionally as consumption because it appeared to consume an individual's body from within. Um, basically, it was a bacterial infection and it was easily spread to everyone living in the same household. Um, so, But no one understood that. But for example, like when Ma died, Pa was typically close behind because the consumption had gotten him and slowly began draining his health and because just the bacteria in the air and in the water particles and all that kind of stuff, we are all infectious disease experts at this point, um, had gotten into his system and, and, you know, contaminated him. Uh, close relatives and paranoid townsfolk would then claim that Ma was actively using the power of Satan to drain the health of her family in order to keep herself alive, even though it was almost a hundred percent. Actually it was, it was a hundred percent not successful. So, you know, basically someone gets tuberculosis and they're on their deathbed. And then all of a sudden, a couple more people in the house get tuberculosis. And then people, rather than logically thinking, oh, they got sick too. They think, oh, that first person is a vampire now. And they are draining the life 
from everyone else in the house to try to keep themselves alive. It's totally, and it's going to work. It never worked. It never worked. But people kept believing it because, I don't know, they're stupid. Um, but to combat this, uh, bodies were often exhumed after burial so the internal organs could be burned to prevent the vampire zombie or the zombie vampires uh, from rising from the grave and spreading the disease even further. Bodies that were found to contain liquid blood or having, quote, unusually fresh organs were deemed vampires and burned. I don't know what constitutes an unusually fresh organ, but whatever. Um, For good measure, the corpse would then also be decapitated. Uh, Some people even inhaled the burning corpse's smoke and snacked on the ashes. I don't know why. Seems counterintuitive. Um, No one knew why it would help, but desperate times called for desperate measures at this point. Um, The most famous case of this during uh, what came to be known as the Great New England Vampire Panic uh, was that of Mercy Brown, who was preceded in death by her mother and her older sister. Neighbors in the town of Exeter, Rhode Island, of course, believed that the vampires, all these vampires running around, were out to kill the Brown family. But Mercy's father, George, was the only person in New England who apparently had common sense and dismissed the notion that vampires were real. Uh, Instead, George considered it a random punishment from God, like he was Job or something, and just kind of went on with it. He's like, yeah, this is what happens. Um, You know, God hates me, I guess, so we're just going to keep going. Um, But two months after Mercy herself contracted uh, tuberculosis and died, George reluctantly gave in and let the townspeople exhume her body. And surprisingly... Uh, Mercy still had fresh blood in her system and had actually turned while inside the grave. Uh, And this is, she's been buried for two months. Uh, This was enough evidence to convince the villagers that Mercy was a zombie vampire and was in turn uh, infecting her family and the entire town with the tuberculosis. Uh, They removed Mary's heart and burned her body. Her ashes were then mixed with water and given to her brother Edwin, who was also (laughs) suffering from tuberculosis. That's so gross. Um, he died two months later, by the way, but it's like, here, drink your sister's ashes. It'll heal you. It'll make you better. No, it won't. That's gross. Um, but yeah, so eventually people wised up and, uh, figured out that tuberculosis was not caused by zombie vampires. Uh, fast forward now, uh, a hundred more years. Uh, and on November 25th, 1996, Visago, the 500-year-old vampire, entered the home of Naomi and Richard Windorf in Eustace, Florida. It's a small town about 40 miles north of Orlando. Um, and Visago was there to rescue the Windorf's daughter, Heather, who was trying to run away from home. And the plan here was for Visago to take Heather, along with a few other girls who were in love with him, uh, down to New Orleans, where they would live happily ever after and do cool voodoo vampire things, I guess. Um, Visago and his accomplice, Howard Anderson... He didn't get a, I guess he just didn't get a cool vampire name, um, entered the home through the unlocked garage and grabbed a crowbar because, uh, they had forgotten to bring their own weapons and they were just lucky and found a crowbar in the garage. Uh, the two found Richard Windorf, uh, asleep on his couch and Visago then proceeded to use the crowbar to beat him to death. Meanwhile, uh, Naomi, who they were coming to rescue, was in the shower. And when she came out, or I'm sorry, uh, Naomi was Richard's husband. And when she came out and found her husband dead on the couch and two random teenagers in her home, uh, she lunged at the vampire, Visago, with a hot cup of coffee. And this angered Visago because, I don't know, I think vampires are cold or something. And coffee would probably burn a lot more. 
Um, and Visago, I mean, he had originally planned to let her live, but uh, when she dumped the coffee on him, he then beat her to death with the crowbar. Um, obviously, you probably know by now that Visago was not really a 500-year-old vampire. It was just a kid named Rod Farrell from Murray, Kentucky, who had adopted this persona of Visago after playing Vampire the Masquerade, uh, which is a tabletop role-playing game similar to, like, Dungeons & Dragons. So, you know, oh, Rod was a well-adjusted guy, right? I've never heard of this game, but if you've heard of Vampire the Masquerade, I, I you know, there's a good chance we won't get along because, I don't know, it's just weird. Like, board games are fun. Don't get me wrong, all right? I will play, uh, I'll play, I don't know, like, Trivial Pursuit or clue maybe um i'll play guess who uh whatever but like the people who were like super into board games who have like a ton of them and always play that like that's their default entertainment over like something normal like tv or reading even reading um yeah those people are just weird right that's how i feel if you feel differently that's cool that's we just that's how the world turns we have different opinions um but anyway (laughs) Back to the end of the story here. Uh, after driving for four days, uh, Rod, uh, Howard Anderson, uh, and a couple other people, um, and Heather, who they were coming to save anyway, uh, were tricked by police into staying at a Howard Johnson's hotel after one of the girls called her money or called her mother asking for money. Um, that's a weird. That's probably a weird phone call. She's like, "Hey, mommy." Can you wire me $500 so me and my friends can continue having fun with the vampire man? Thanks. Love you. Um, Farrell and um, his accomplice were sentenced to life in prison uh, while the other girls were given shorter sentences, probably because, you know, they felt bad for him for being pretty stupid. But, um, yeah, that, obviously that happened in Florida. Of course it did. So. Uh, our last story here, another kind of short one, um, story of Jasmine Richardson. Uh, in 2006, uh, Jasmine Richardson, who was 12 years old at the time, met 23-year-old Jeremy Allen Stinky, Stanky, I think it's Stanky, S-T-E-I-N-K-E, Stanky, 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 well, let's see, if it's, if without the K-E, it would be Stein, Stanky, Stanky. I think it's Stanky. I'm going to call him Stinky. Um, (laughs) Jeremy Allen Stinky (laughs) at a punk rock show in Alberta. Um, So already 12-year-old meets a 23-year-old at a rock show. You know, like nothing about that's going to end well. Uh, Jeremy told Jasmine that he was a 300-year-old werewolf and that he enjoyed the taste of blood. Uh, Jasmine, being 12 years old and totally into dumb things like that, fell in love with him. And... Uh, I said he was a werewolf. I, I think he was a vampire. I think, yeah, he was a vampire. Um, so Jasmine's parents and friends heavily criticized her, as they should, for this relationship with a 23-year-old man who wore a vial of blood around his neck. Like, even if even if they were similar age, that's a questionable relationship. But to be 12 years old, like, barely into puberty at that point, I'm guessing, I don't know how girl stuff works, but... Being 12 and and hanging out and being in love, quote unquote, with a dude who is 23 and wears a vial of blood around his neck. So stupid. Uh, but that none of that mattered to Jasmine. Um, it was young love and the weird little couple was totally going to make it, you guys. 
Well, one night after watching the 1994 film Natural Born Killers, Jeremy decided it would be a good idea to recreate the plot of that movie in real life, right? I've never seen the movie. I don't, I, I couldn't tell you what the plot is, but this is basically, I think, what happened. Um, on April 23rd, 2006, Jasmine's parents, Mark and Deborah, were found dead in their basement, uh, and her eight-year-old brother, Tyler, was found dead upstairs. Uh, authorities thought that Jasmine had been abducted, but found her with Jeremy Stinky in Saskatchewan the next day. Uh, while in custody, the two confessed to all of the murders. Uh, Jasmine was sentenced to 10 years in prison because she was only 12 at the time of the murder and Canadian laws uh, actually prevented anyone under the age of 14 from being sentenced as adults. Uh, an additional four years at a psychiatric institution and another four years of conditional supervision were added because I'm guessing she was just incredibly stupid and Canadian authorities just could not bear the thought of her being just let out into the wild. Um, but she completed her sentence in May 2016 and was released from all other court-ordered conditions. Uh, Jeremy Stinky, on the other hand, was given three life sentences for the murders, uh, but was actually made eligible for parole after 25 years. I don't know if he ever was granted parole, but he's at least eligible for it right now, so that's cool. And that is going to end today's stories. we go week one of uh halloween month is done and we learned about some vampires so that was fun um and like the the story of, of count dracula dracul um is pretty well known i don't know that i'll ever actually cover it on this podcast just because at this point it's such a well-known story um but i don't know maybe maybe we'll do it in the future i don't know um, but I, I just, I enjoy these lesser known stories so much more. Um, and so with that, let's see what we learned this week. What did we learn? Number one, Enriqueta Marti, uh, could actually be one of the most prolific serial killers of all time. Um, a huge cannibal. Uh, we just don't know, uh, because the record keeping was so poor. There were so many kids being born in El Raval at the time that there's just so many people that have been lost to history forever. Um, and we'll never know how many people or how many kids really, uh, that Enriqueta murdered and boiled down into potions and, or ate. Uh, number two, people in New England thought that zombie vampires were running around and sucking the life out of people, and that's pretty stupid, right? And, I mean, really, like, you think the South is dumb? I still will fight you on this, that, like, sure, the Northeast has Ivy League schools. I get that. But the South has good colleges, too, all right? And I, I just, I think that there's no clear winner, when it comes to who or what the dumbest part of the country is, because New England will give you a run for your money. All right. I, I don't know why they, I, I don't, maybe it's just me, but they seem to have this reputation that they're a little bit more refined. No, Mm-mm. no. New England people are just as dumb in general. Not every New Englander is dumb. I, I understand that, but 
I, man, it's a tough, it's a closer competition than you might think. All right. Uh, and number three, look, uh, if someone comes up to you and says that they are a 300 year old or a 500 year old vampire, um, just go ahead and walk away because they're lying. Um, more than likely they just play a little too much, uh, too many RPG games and they've just bought into it too much. Their mental health is not very stable. Uh, and just, you know, get away before they somehow convince you to murder your family. Right. Cool. Next week on Our Weird World, we continue our Halloween theme with uh, stories about monsters. Just a blanket, just a blanket statement about monsters, very general category. Uh, but it's going to be a huge episode. I have six stories, uh, mostly because they're pretty short, because there's not a lot of evidence to support them. But we're going to look at them anyway, and we're going to suspend disbelief, and we're just going to pretend like monsters are real. All right. But we are going to look at the stories of the Beast of Bray Road, the Barden Booger, uh, the Flatwoods Monster, the Beast of Bladenboro, the Skunk Ape, and the Lizard Man of Skapor Swamp. So, uh, big episode next week. Uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, fun little, fun little stories about monsters. That's going to do it for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, how about how about you do this? All right. How about you go over to Apple Podcasts. Um, if you're on an Android, you know, screw off. I don't really care about you. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, but if you're on an Apple, uh, go to Apple Podcasts where you downloaded this show to begin with and leave a leave a review, all right? If it's a one-star review, that's fine, all right? I actually find those hilarious and am more likely to read them on the show than a five-star review. Um, but don't, don't leave a one-star just to be mean. Well, you know, if you really hate the show, fine, do it. I don't care. But... Regardless, please leave a review. Um, if you like it, um, cool. But it would be great to build those up. Um, and so I don't think it takes a whole lot. You just push the stars and then it asks if you want to leave a review and you hit yes and then you type some nice words out. So um, that would be great. would really appreciate it. Consider it a wedding gift from you to me. Um, but that would be pretty nice. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, keep telling all your friends and then tell them to leave a review. Well, you know, we'll just keep doing something like that, I guess. Um, but always keep it weird. <laughs>